0: Hello and welcome to the first Tech Mad Pie podcast. This show will cover smartphones, smart homes, smart tech, tablets and gaming. Smartphones and smart tech will be our bread and butter, but we will cover other tech news, where we feel relevant and take on board feedback for potential future content. So without further ado, let's get cracking. This week in our first ever episode, Samsung S10 leaks and expectations, the Huawei Mate 20 Pro a roundup of the Snapdragon 855 announcement, and this week in tech, roundup. So, various leaks of the Samsung Galaxy S10 have started to surface in force this week from various sources. The difference compared to previous supposed leaks of this phone is that the current crop of leaks are becoming much more uniform, suggesting that we now have a very good idea of what this phone going to look like. Uh, The Samsung S9 was a very attractive phone but was very similar to the S8 in its looks so it didn't really set the world on fire. Um, The S10 doesn't seem to my eye to be furthering this design which isn't necessarily a bad thing. The S8 and the S9 both look very very nice but those looking for revolution may be left disappointed. So the leaks have come from uh, case manufacturers who we have to thank for this. Um, these were twisted by Leaks on Twitter who has a good record when it comes to accurate leaks. Um, three phones have been shown in the leaks, so we'll start off with the S10 Lite. So the S10 Lite is clearly being released in response to the cheaper flagships like the OnePlus 6T, uh, even the Huawei P20s from you know 6-7 months ago. It's shown to have a 5.8-inch flat display and a flat rear design, not unlike the Samsung Galaxy S7, so ditching the the curves of the uh, bigger brothers of the S10 and the S10 Plus and of the S9s. Um, The front displays a pinhole-type notch, so this is the one that Samsung dubbed Infinity-O in their developer conference last month. (coughs) It houses what we assume will be the front-facing camera, in a central position uh, at the top of the phone. Very reminiscent from the OnePlus 6T, but minus the actual teardrops around, so it's it's on its own, like as a little circle just below the frame of the phone. Um, Another leak from another case manufacturer also appeared to show a side-mounted fingerprint sensor, so no more fingerprint on the back of the phone um, on the top right side, so slightly ingressed into the frame. Again, very similar to what we've seen from the Sony's in the past, and it's a very interesting choice from Samsung to put it up there. Um, going down that route that Sony have done, it's almost you know Red Hydrogen has done it as well with that side-mounted uh, disp- fingerprint sensor. Um, the other side houses what looks to be the Bixby button and a single volume rocker. Whilst on the rear of the light, we see a dual camera setup alongside what appears to be the usual heart rate monitor array it's all arranged horizontally much like the note 9 which is possibly exactly why they've put the fingerprint scanner on the side of the phone um some of the criticisms of the s8 the s9 and the note 9 is that the fingerprint scanner wasn't in the best position for accessibility a little bit of a stretch in a, in a slightly strange position so clearly they've tried to alleviate that and if they're going for the horizontal um, array it makes sense to have it on the side as it'll be much easier um, to reach. Uh, the S10 itself then, so the, the main flagship model of this Samsung range, appears to have the same Infinity-O display as the light, so small circle in the middle, right at the top, um, but this time retaining the curved screen of the previous S phones. This makes sense, this is the signature look of Samsung on their flagship, so it makes sense that the the S10 and the S10 plus will retain this curved display <coughs> the screen size is listed as 6.1 inches which is interesting this matches the S9 and the S8 plus um so remember we still have the S10 plus to look at so the fact that the standard S10 is already plus size is quite interesting to be fair and the leaks are a little less clear but it appears that it will also house a dual rear camera arrangement plus the heart rate monitor in a horizontal layout. Um, The S10 and the S10 Plus are both expected to have the ultrasonic in-display fingerprint rather than the side-mounted scanner that the light has, but it's the Plus where it starts to get really interesting, the S10 Plus. The screen size for starters matches the Note 9, 6.4 inches, but because the S10 will have more rounded corners, it shouldn't feel as big as the Note 9 does. The Note 9 is quite uh, blocky, it's quite square, it's not not uncomfortable to hold, it's still quite narrow, but it does feel very large, whereas the the curved rear and the curved corners of the S10 Plus should make it feel a lot more manageable. (coughs) A triple camera setup has been shown for the S10 Plus, featuring standard and telephoto lenses, like the other two models, but also adding a wide angle similar to the Huawei Mate 20 Pro, again aligned horizontally. This is a good addition, Um, the the wide angle on the Mate 20 Pro is one of the best features of that camera, it's one that I used way more than I thought I was going to, and is definitely something I think we'll see a lot more of on these multi-camera 2019 phones. The front of the S10 Plus is also very interesting so a screen protector was leaked, this was tweeted by at universe ice uh, and shows what appears to be a twin front camera setup rather than just a single one. It still uses what appears to be kind of like an Infinity-O array but because it's dual there's two of them. <coughs> it's positioned in the top right corner of the screen as well so people expected that to happen after what they saw at the Qualcomm conference which had a Samsung demo device with the top right portion blacked off Samsung weren't allowing people to, to pick it up or use it so it makes sense that if this is the case um, and the screen protector is accurate that this is what we can expect um, the leaks have all shown black devices but after the Samsung developer conference <coughs> it is believed some of the new colors may have been shown there including white, uh, a green pink and a sort of silvery grey type design. I have to say though personally I'm a little bit underwhelmed from the designs because they are so similar to the S9s. I think there's a lot of people out there who were expecting a bit more by way of revolution. You know the S10, it's the big one, it's the the 10th phone um, and it just, with the exception of being slightly more bezel-less and having the Infinity O displays. Um, it just looks still very similar to what we've seen before with the S9, with the S9 Plus, and even with the Note 9, because a lot of the design influences have come from the Note 9. But obviously, these are just leaks, these are just renders, they're pictures of cases from case manufacturers, so the final design may well be completely different. So, spec-wise, the S10 Lite uh, is rumoured to be running the Snapdragon 845, so the 2018 flagship chipset, or the Exynos 8150, which is Samsung's own SOC, uh, depending on the region, with three variants, uh, a 64GB with 4GB of RAM model, a 64GB with 6GB of RAM, and 128GB with 6GB of RAM. Uh, For the UK, expect the Snapdragon 845 with the 64 plus 4 or 128 plus 6 variants. The camera is expected to be a dual 12 megapixel rear camera, not unlike the Note 9 with optical image stabilisation on both, the clever variable aperture for low-light photography, um, and a 2.4 aperture telephoto second lens. (coughs) Uh, The S10 and the S10 Plus will likely house the Snapdragon 855, and the latest Exynos SoC, again, depending on region, with 128GB with 6 gig of RAM on the S10, and a 256GB with 8GB of RAM for the Plus. As before, we expect dual 12MP cameras on the S10 and the S10 Plus, with the Plus also getting that wide-angle lens. As yet, the specs of that are unknown, but we could reasonably expect an 18 or a 20MP sensor on that to cover the size of the photo that a wide-angle may get. <laughs> Uh, All of the models will get Android 9 Pi with Samsung's all-new One UI skin. So the knock-on effect was, you know, the Note Note 10 will come out this year, we know this. And if these leaks are accurate, this will of course have a massive impact on that. If the S10 Plus is 6.4 inches, as has been suggested, the Note 10, it is reasonable to assume, will be larger. Of course, this may not be the case at all, but it wouldn't surprise me to see Samsung push it to 6.5 or 6.6 inches, with the new Infinity display keeping it in a sensible physical size, but it will be interesting to see what comes next for the Note line. So on to the Snapdragon 855 announcement. Uh, Qualcomm announced its next flagship SOC mobile chip, the Snapdragon 855, last week in Hawaii. As expected, it is built on 7 nanometer tech like Huawei's Kirin 980 and Apple's A12 Bionic. The Big Photos feature is the continuous building of Qualcomm's AI and machine learning capabilities along with, of course, a new CPU setup and a new graphics unit. The highlights include a 40% performance increase through the Adreno GPU and a 25% CPU performance increase and, of course, 5G support. Although the chip won't natively support 5G. Instead, manufacturers will need Qualcomm's X50 modem to get that connectivity, hence why we will likely be seeing additional versions of flagship phones to support 5G. The aforementioned Galaxy S10, for example, will have a fourth version supporting 5G, which will carry this Qualcomm X50 modem inside it. And OnePlus have also confirmed a 5G phone for 2019, which will, initially at least to be exclusive to the EE network in the UK as the only network to have 5G availability in the UK in twenty nineteen. The CEO of OnePlus, Pete Lau, did however hint at quite a significant premium for the 5G version of the OnePlus, um, of potentially two to three hundred dollars, which is you know, not an insignificant amount. So it'll be interesting to see if the likes of Samsung will also be putting that premium on um to their S10 range as that could very well turn that phone into a really really expensive device elsewhere Qualcomm has introduced an ISP or image sensor processor called Spectra 380 this will bring out improvements to photography with up to dual 20 megapixel sensor support and single 32 megapixel sensor support along with assistance for machine vision tasks of so things like Uh, Google Lens, for example. Video is the biggest winner here, though, with this chip. With the ability to record 4K HDR10 Plus content, which is going to look stunning. Sony have dabbled with that already, albeit not well, Um, so it'll be very interesting to see which manufacturers really push this feature. So, to sum up this basic roundup for the chip, Um, Supersonic in-screen fingerprint support is also confirmed, it will be able to read depth, um, so being able to read the ridges and pores of your finger will also make it more secure and allow it to still read your print even if it's wet or covered in grime. The first phone to have the Snapdragon 855 is expected to be the S10, but OnePlus have also hinted that the OnePlus 7 may only just be around the corner despite the recent release of the OnePlus 6T, saying that their version um, of the 855 is likely to be one of the first three devices to come out in 2019. So then on to our first in-depth review feature Uh, and this is the Huawei Mate 20 Pro. The Huawei Mate 20 Pro has been very well received by reviewers, by YouTubers and consumers across the world and rightfully so. It is an absolute beast of a phone that should keep even the most demanding customers happy. Having used it for six weeks myself, I will go through my pros and cons and sum up with potentially a controversial opinion. So, let's start with the design. The design of the Mate 20 Pro is exceptional, a beautiful glass sandwich held together by a thin metal frame. With the screen off, you would be forgiven for thinking you were looking at a Samsung as the screen curves on each edge. It looks very narrow thanks to that bezel-less design. Under the screen, the optical fingerprint sensor rests completely hidden from view, enabling that really clean look front and back. Turn it over and Huawei's design starts to distinguish itself, with a large square camera array uh, housing the triple Leica lens and flash. The black and twilight feature, the smooth glass on the back with the twilight, featuring a stunning black to purple to blue gradient colour. There is also a blue and a green version available, both of which feature Huawei's hyper-optical pattern. It's a finely-ridged design, almost feels like a vinyl record, um, to help with grip and also to help prevent fingerprints and scratches from marring the back of the phone. It's a little bit baffling to me that this wasn't a feature on all of the colour models. Fire up the phone and the shallow but wide notch shows up at the top, housing a front firing speaker, front facing camera and Face ID technology. All in all, a very attractive and slim design that really stands out. Specification wise, um, Huawei were the first to announce their 7nano processor, the Kirin 980, ahead of Apple's A12 Bionic launch. Make no mistake the Kira 980 is powerful, scoring very highly against the Snapdragon 845. Both the CPU and the GPU perform very well under intense load, and when paired with 6GB of RAM, the phone is buttery smooth. The front camera is a 24MP f2.0 sensor, which is okay, and the same as the P20, but the rear is an incredible array of lenses a 40 megapixel f1.8 aperture main sensor, 8 megapixel f2.4 aperture telephoto with 3x optical and 5x hybrid zoom and a 20 megapixel f2.2 aperture wide angle lens. The front camera is also supplemented by the 3D depth sensor used for face unlock as well as the model scanning feature and AR emoji which is very similar to Apple's Animoji. Video support goes up to 4K at 30 frames per second, and the device supports 40 watt super fast charging, and it really is fast. I never had to worry once about charging overnight, or worry about leaving the house without a full charge, because this phone can charge so fast. Plugging in for 20 minutes will get you through a day very easily, and the Mate 20 Pro also regularly charged from less than 10% to 100% in an hour. This paired with the 4200mAh battery and battery life is an area that cannot be criticised, easily seeing me through two days before needing a quick boost back up to 100%. On top of this, the Mate 20 Pro supports 15W fast wireless charging as well. This can fully charge the phone wirelessly in about an hour and three quarters, which is super handy for a quick boost as long as you have a compatible wireless charger. The screen itself is a 6.39 inch Quad HD plus OLED display from LG, showing 558 pixels per inch. For the most part, it's an attractive screen, the colour temps and accuracy aren't the best out of the box, but there are a few settings to help you out there. Video content looks good, and the screen has its moments where it looks truly stunning, but it does have an issue, which I will come to later. The phone itself is also IP. 68 water and dust resistant which is becoming essential on flagship devices so moving on to the camera the the real piece de resistance of this phone and the camera is good to use the app is intuitive for the most part although less experienced users will likely miss some of the extra options to adjust things like your photo ratio ie shooting a widescreen photo turning master AI off and adjusting video resolution, but otherwise it's very nice. The usual photo, video, portrait, aperture and night modes are visible, with extras like panoramic, uh, augmented reality, light painting and more in a sub-menu on the right-hand side of the screen. Shooting is straightforward, but the AI can take a moment to pick a scene when you're taking your shot, which can cause the camera to lag a little bit when trying to take your shot. This is partially because um, it's capable of recognising 1500 different scenes. If you're in a scene that's got greenery, that's got blue sky, that's got animals and people in it, it, it can take a little bit of time for it to really tune that shot in. It's also a little bit annoying if the subject is moving and you want to get a shot and it's trying to load up its AI algorithm which it does do quickly but if you need that quick shot it can you know seriously inhibit your ability to do so you can turn the master AI off of course and this really speeds the camera shooting up it becomes a real point and click experience it also depending on your tastes gives out much more natural looking photos AI mode has a tendency again depending on what you're shooting, to over-sharpen and oversaturate your shots. Generally, I did like how the AI shots came out, but every now and then it would process a photo to the point of actually looking totally fake and kind of ruining that uh, particular image. Portrait mode is also disappointing, it always seems to have some sort of beauty setting, regardless of what you do, um, and the edge detection really lets it down as well falling a long way short of the iPhone XS and the Google Pixel 3. But the stabilisation is excellent, using both optical and AI-based stabilisation, so even when zoomed into the max on the telephoto lens, it stays remarkably steady, which means those distant shots look super sharp and crisp compared to the competition. Um, photos definitely have a signature look, with good dynamic range and strong colours. You know, it's easy to pick out, most of the time which ones have been shot on a huawei the wide angle lens is a really great addition allowing an incredible field of view for groups uh, of large people uh, landmarks landscapes and more it's a type of lens i'd love to see on more phones and i have a strong feeling um, a lot will feature this in 2019 starting with that galaxy s10 plus A byproduct of the wide-angle lens is that macro shots work really well as well, allowing you to get 2.5cm away from an object for some really, really nice close-ups. Unfortunately, AI again in this instance was very inconsistent. It's supposed to fire into a dedicated macro mode, it didn't always do this and made it a little bit frustrating to use and if it doesn't fire into macro mode, the shots aren't always the clearest. Hopefully though this can be fixed with software as it just seems like a a detection issue rather than a hardware issue. Night mode works really well and is one of the absolutely biggest selling points of this camera. If people are going to be using the camera in low light scenarios, in nightclubs, they go out a lot. It's that time of year where it's getting dark anyway. It works fantastically well. It uses multiple exposures and a long shutter time to capture remarkable amounts of light even in the darkest situations, putting this phone front and centre for night photography. Google's night sight may give it a run for its money, but we'll have to wait and see for that. The front camera is a strange one. On paper it should deliver good photos with a decent 24 megapixel sensor, but the photos consistently look washed out and noisy in anything but the perfect lighting conditions. Portrait mode suffers even more than the rear, despite 3D depth sensing, the edge detection is not a strong point. In all, it's a very strong camera with some very versatile options, all of which I used regularly. It throws out some poor shots from time to time, but overall is a very pleasant camera to use and definitely ranks among the best. So. Day to day performance, what is the Huawei Mate 20 Pro like to live with? Well, this is where my opinion may start getting a little unpopular as I think this is where the Mate starts to come undone a little bit. I used the device for 6 weeks and it was mostly good, mostly. The phone is packed with tech and it works well and as someone who is interested in tech and loves tech, that's very exciting. But, I don't want it to work well. With a lot of it, I want it to work flawlessly. The in-display fingerprint is a prime example of this. Physical scanners are super fast, almost quicker than can actually be physically demoed. Tap and in. iPhone, Huawei, Samsung, Google, they all perfected this. On the Mate 20 Pro, it just isn't as fast. And that isn't even the biggest issue. The issue is it seems to fail to recognize your print almost half the time you're using it which is too frequent. You usually get in second time but when that happens there were occasions where it took three or four. This does hurt the user experience and actually prompted me to use the face unlock as well which I wouldn't normally do but it usually picked me up when the fingerprint failed. However even face unlock isn't flawless. Despite using 3D technology not unlike Apple's Face ID Inexplicably at times, it would just refuse to unlock for me. Oddly, it was usually when I was actually trying to use the face unlock where it was less successful. For me, it worked better when I was trying to use a fingerprint. generally, it would pick me up and I'd be in before my finger could even get to the scanner once you're in the phone it's a good experience it's a nice and fast day to day without any noticeable slowdown and when the going gets tough and the big selling point of a 7nm chip the way Huawei have sold it is that it won't slow down over the life of the phone either. The battery life, as I mentioned, is exceptional and really takes a weight off your mind when using it heavily like I do for work as well as at home. The speakers work well for media consumption, with one front firing and one bottom firing out of the USB-C port, which is unique but can be easy to accidentally cover up. It's certainly loud enough. And the Mate 20 Pro has no headphone jack so if you are using media when you're out and about it's nice to have loudspeakers. No headphone jack wouldn't usually bother me, it's totally expected for 2018 and beyond. I use a lot of wireless audio. I say usually because the Mate 20 seemed to always struggle with Bluetooth for some reason, struggling to connect to certain devices and frequently dropping out, a real frustration especially as previous Huawei's haven't had this issue. The biggest issue day-to-day is the software. Emotion UI generally is totally fine, it has its quirks, but it is customisable, it looks good even if some of the icons are a bit too colourful, and there's a good array of security features such as app locking for apps you don't want other people having access to. Frustrations come to the forefront when the phone lags or freezes, there's nine times out of ten it's a software issue causing it. Now I know it's using Emotion UI 9 on Android 9 Pie, but it does occasionally feel like a beta. So hopefully the coming updates will help make it feel much more polished. Some of the duplicate apps are also quite hard to shake, such as the Gallery app. Even setting Google Photos to the default doesn't eradicate the gallery from saving stuff that won't then save to Google Photos. This wouldn't normally be an issue, but when Huawei goes to do its cloud backup. Like Apple, you only get 5GB, and if you take a lot of photos like I do, you'll be forced into having to pay extra in order to be able to actually back up your gallery, which I don't want to do when Google Photos does it for free. The duplicate apps can't all be disposed of, which is frustrating, and take a good chunk of storage. It's just as well that the Mate 20 Pro has 128GB as standard. Overall, it is a good experience, but it was marred with small and frustrating issues not present on previous Huawei flagships, and poor, slash very slow, biometric security. I'm confident Huawei, though, will sort these issues out. A lot of it will be salvageable through software updates and just making sure that Emotion UI 9 feels finished. So along with the minor issues mentioned, my particular Mate 20 Pro developed a screen fault which appears to have plagued a number of handsets. It started showing a slight green hue at the edges which was easily ignored at first, but over the course of a few days it started getting worse. It got to a point where there was a constant green hue to the display, almost glowing, particularly visible if using the dark theme like I do. It appears to be affecting the LG screen models, which is what a majority of the UK models are. The alternative models, the BOE models, appear to be unaffected but there have still been a few reports of these devices doing it too, which leaves people to believe that it could be down to a quality control issue, and reports suggest that weak glue and poor quality control have led to this happening. There doesn't appear to be a fix on the horizon, Um, Huawei released an update which boosted the minimum screen brightness to try and cover the issue up, but for a majority of people it didn't really help as the issue got so bad that it was visible on any brightness. Um, Several people have reported that Huawei were happy to replace their device, but reports also suggest that replacement devices have also had the same issue, meaning it hasn't been solved on the hardware side either. Reddit Util has actually had four replacements. So, where did that leave me? Well, I have had issues in the past with particular devices, sometimes with two or three replacements. So, I decided to avoid going down that route and have changed my device. To find out what I've changed it to, listen to next week's episode where I will be doing an in depth review of that particular device. So, Pros and Cons Pros It's a beautiful and solid design with incredible battery life and charging Very good, versatile cameras Very, very fast and packed with technology Clever AI Always making things work in the background Such as your battery life and controlling your app usage It's IP68 which is fantastic And it has good speakers Cons Emotion UI 9 needs work, there is no getting around that. The camera can be very inconsistent, biometric security is also extremely inconsistent, and the Bluetooth connectivity is poor, and certain models have screen issues. So my summary, I'm going to go against the opinions of a lot of tech reviewers I know. I love the Mate 20 Pro, it has a lot going for it, but I don't know if I could recommend it yet. the issues that need solving. For me, the Huawei P20 Pro is still the better buy from Huawei. The biometrics are consistent and fast, the battery life is even better even if it does charge slightly slower, the camera is more consistent even with AI on, and EMUI is marginally less annoying. It also costs nearly £300 less, which is a huge amount for an overall more pleasant experience and still a fantastic flagship device from Huawei. So let's end this episode then with a week in tech roundup, starting with Huawei and Samsung. Huawei Nova 4 versus Samsung A8S in the battle of the pinhole, or the island, whatever you want to call it. Both of these phones will feature the Infinity-O style display with the small... Circular cutout on the top left of the screen. It will be interesting to see the reaction to this, to the general consumer, and the general public, versus the notch, particularly ahead of the Samsung Galaxy S10, which will have this um, design to it as well. A new Xbox One could be inbound, as reports suggest, a small form Discless Xbox is on its way, utilizing the huge digital library of not just Xbox One games but also Xbox 360 and original Xbox games, as well as, of course, the fantastic Game Pass subscription. For $7.99 a month, you get access to a massive on-demand library of games that you download directly to your console. The combination of this with a discless Xbox potentially being low-cost could be a fantastic low-cost way into gaming. I think the way that this would work is if, if Microsoft released this at a sub-hundred-pound um, price banned, it could sell like absolute hotcakes. Back to Huawei, and the chief financial officer of Huawei and the company founder's daughter has been arrested in Canada, continuing to fuel tensions between the USA and China. Details are scarce on why, but it appears to have something to do uh, with ignoring sanctions on Iran. The wider implications for Huawei, however, are even bigger. At a time where major companies, and even countries, banning and pulling Huawei networking technology from their infrastructures in places such as New Zealand, Australia, America and Canada, and this week in the UK, BT announced that they would be removing Huawei from the 3G and 4G network infrastructures and won't be using Huawei 5G tech in the rollout next year. The implication in the UK in particular could be very negative with how the media report these things. Already consumers have been asking questions in mobile network stores about the implications of this on the Huawei handsets. It's a shame, at a time where Huawei have worked really hard to get the reputation and the level that they are on their current handsets, that it could all be undone through, well, things out of their control for the most part. Um, We don't know what's going on as a company, but certainly for the consumer, this can only be a bad thing. And finally, Apple have restarted production on the iPhone X after failing to fulfil their screen order to Samsung. Although some do see it as Apple struggling in the aftermath of the 10s and 10 launch launches not selling as well as they were expecting, with a much lower rate of adoption on the new phones, this does lead some people to believe that tensions between Apple and Samsung could be falling and may potentially affect Samsung supplying Apple in the future. That's all for this week. I hope you enjoy this first episode. Make sure you keep an eye out for the next one. Um, tweet me on Twitter, at Racer if you have any suggestions on format, content, anything that you would like me to cover on the next episode, and I'll do my best to do so. Otherwise, we will have another in-depth review, another weekly roundup, and a few extra little uh, segments on the way as well. Thanks for listening. I'll catch you in the next one.